Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. My next guest on the program is, a, is one of a group of athletes in the 1970s inspired me to want to get into sport, inspired me to want to wear the black singlet and the silver fern, and ultimately inspired me to want to become a sports commentator. It was a golden era in New Zealand athletics. Rod Dixon's his name, and we've got Rod on the program because it was 50 years ago on last Sunday, September the 10th, that he won a bronze medal in the men's 1,500-metre final at the Olympic Games in Munich. He was just 22 years of age. He actually won that bronze medal before he ever won the New Zealand men's 1,500-metre title. He joins us on the program. Evening to you, Rod. Welcome. Good evening, Mark, and uh, everybody listening. And I've got, I've got to just remind you, it was the gold medal I won at the Olympics, but I liked it so much I had a bronze. Oh, that is brilliant. That is beautiful, Rod. That is beautiful, mate. That, that's um, poetry. Look, I remember interviewing you years ago on this, and what I always remembered from the interview was that what I, I love the romance of this. 1968, you're at your home in Nelson, I think at your parents' place, listening on a transistor radio to Kip Kano and Jim Ryan in the 1968 1500m final, which Kip Kano won, and then you, four years later, you're there... And you're winning the medal. <laughs> Remarkable. I'd like you just to share that again with this listening audience. Well, of course, I was um, incredibly inspired during the, the, the uh, Peter Snell, Murray Hilbert, Bill Bailey, um, Barry McGee era of the 1960 uh, Olympic Games, 1964 Olympic Games. Those were defining moments as I was growing up. Uh, the history of our sport, the sport that I love so much. And uh, yes, we were listening to the transistor radio, 1968, and uh, listening to the 1,500-metre final with Kaino finishing first and Ryan second. And it was just incredible. And I, I just said to the, I said to some of my mates, I said, that'll be me, I'll go to the Olympics one day. And they go, how much have you had to drink, Dixon? And I said, well, actually... And here it was, four years later, and I line up in the first heat of the 1500, and the one side of me is Kaino, and the other side of me is Jim Ryan. Go figure that. Yeah, remarkable. And, and what people won't realise is that Jim Ryan didn't actually go through. Around a time of 3.51.5, Kaino won the heat, and I think he was just narrowly behind him. It was a fairly close Five that went through, Gunnar Ekman, Klaus-Peter Justus and Gianni Del Buono were the other athletes that went through. Wow, very good, very good. Uh, yes, well, uh, Jim, uh, Jim Ryan actually was tripped uh, and it's been, it's, uh, it's been determined now that he was pushed and he tripped and fell. And when he got up, somebody timed him from the time he got up to the time he finished 
and his last 500 meters was the, was the same time that Kaino, myself, and the third place uh, mm. ran. So when the uh, appeal came in, and Graham Davy was our uh, section manager, we talked about it, and I said I think New Zealand should support his appeal based on that, that I felt that he um, had qualified. It wasn't his fault that he failed, tripped and failed, and, um, but there wasn't enough support and therefore the appeal didn't go through. So sadly, Jim was not able to run in the next round or the, next, the semi-final uh, and, and the final. So, and of course, um, I spent many, many years and, and with Jim and his family uh, with what they do. Of course, he became a congressman and uh, was a, a huge... In fact, I think uh, President uh, Clinton honoured him with um, a uh, honour within the, uh, uh, the, the uh, US government. Yeah. Now, what made it difficult back then is the heats were on the Friday. Next day were the semi-finals. The following day was the final. Now, often at the Olympics now, you'll have a day in between. They will give you just that little bit of recovery time. So you get through the first round, you get into the semi-finals, waking up on the Saturday morning, how are you feeling? Were you confident that you could get through the semi-finals? I mean, you always come across quite confident without sounding arrogant, Rod, and that's part of your personality, and I think you need that to a degree. Um, but did you have a level of bravado? Well, I think, you know, your, your training is based, well, your confidence is based on training. And if you have been consistent, and, and the, the key to understand with training, with anything, with any sport, you don't improve when you train, you improve when you recover. And so training helps you to recover better. And part of that recovery, of course, is very much of, is uh, nutrition, rest and, and, and um, uh, emotional rest, uh, spiritual, uh, physical and mental. So you've got to balance them all out. And the good thing about having three races in three days is that I came from a strength background. So I was with the running club, the Harriers, the Nelson Amateur Athletic Harrier and Cycling Club. Um, and so it, we a lot of cross-country running. Uh, we used to come over here to Marahau and run from Marahau to Araroa, which was part of the Abel Tasman National Park, and that's 40 k's. We used to run that on a Sunday, and and of course the track was a bit of a challenge, so you couldn't run fast. It was running long and slow, and at the talk test, and so you weren't racing one another. You were training together, helping one another, and so all that came into it. So. When my brother and I heard about, you know, how the heat semis and final, and he said, you know, that's going to be a plus for you because you've got strength. A lot of the runners that I was running against in Europe in those early days, uh, they got their strength from speed. I got my speed from strength. Mm. And, and as you had those three races, I got stronger, whereas those guys who were speed-based Got weaker, so very much. So, 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 Rod, very much Lydiard-based principles. Yes, the principles and philosophy that um, Lydiard uh, shared with our running club. Mm. Um, he would come and coach the coaches, mm. and my brother, being three years older than me, he understood the the philosophy and the principles, and uh, and then we adapted, or he ad- adapted those to how I was training in Nelson. Uh, and how we were training 
which was predominantly uh, off-road, cross-country, uh, forest trails. Um, you know, we've got three national parks here in the Nelson province. So we we trained a little differently the one they, they how they did in Auckland, but certainly we trained along the same uh, uh, system. And that's what allowed us to build that base. That And it is. It's about building the foundation. As Sir Edmund Hillary uh, would say, you've got to build the foundation in order to get to the top of Mount Everest. Mm, absolutely. There was another New Zealander that would uh, reach that final, Tony Polehill. What was the relationship like yeah. with Tony? And um... uh, Yeah. Well, in 19, 1970, Tony won the British Mile Championships. So, you know... And, of course, in 19... Uh, that was 1971. 1970, Dick Quacks was second in the Commonwealth Games 1500. So, you know, we, we had a, we had a, a very strong um, development program going on, uh, managed, of course, by the athletes. We didn't... Athletics New Zealand or anybody, they didn't, they didn't help us with coaching or anything. We had our own coaches. But what we did when we raced together, we... Uh, we, we had a, a respect for one another and we didn't tell each other about our training but certainly uh, racing with Tony Polwell I learned a lot from him and he learned a lot from me hmm. and so and in fact uh, Mark just the other day uh, actually on the 50th anniversary which was Saturday I called Tony and we had a good catch up and a good talk and to think you know that was 50 years ago that we ran that hmm. race together hmm. and a lot of the images or the photographs uh, taken down the track there, there was the whole field and there was Tony right there right there he was right in the race mm-hmm. yeah Rod that semi-final man it was a hell of a field so in your semi-final and there were three semi-finals y- yourself Pekka Fasala who was actually getting coached by Lydiard the great Brendan Foster and then Paul Hines Wellman who would actually end up winning a bronze medal four years later in that famous race with Sir John Walker um, uh, what were the tactics? I mean, how? T- I mean, I often am asked, and I said, look, I think the hardest races at the Olympic Games are the semi-finals of the eight and fifteen hundred because they're just so damn tactical. Yes, well, you know, certainly um, we knew uh, in the first round with Kaino uh, what to expect that he would not leave it for the last two or three hundred meters. He would go with two laps to go, and that suited me. I liked the pace right from the word go, really. So once he took over, off we went, and that suited me. And then in the semi-final, uh, when I talked to my brother, who was in New Zealand, because coaches weren't allowed to travel in those days, um, we talked about it, and he said, you know, you're going to be, the, the, the Europeans are going to be more dominant, and you're not going to get somebody that will lead out. But, you know, surprisingly enough, Brendan Foster, who is a tough, really tough. We saw him in 1974 at the Commonwealth Games almost win the 5,000 metres against Ben Gipcho, uh, set, running very close to the world record. So Ben and Foster, he made it. He, he put it to it. And, and so the pace was on. And then I was very, very careful of watching for Vasila, who really would go with about 2.30 to go. And uh, so when he started to move, I just tagged on. I just got onto him. And he was nice and slow. He wasn't accelerating. He just, it was a nice drawn out sprint. And so that suited me again. I didn't need to, I wasn't a sprinter, but I could certainly run uh, for a good 230 metres at 7 eight effort. I mean, we talk about Kip Kaino. We've talked about 
uh, the likes of Jim Ryan in the heats and some of those other athletes that came with big reputations, the likes of Mike Boyd, um, Brendan Foster. What did they know about the 22-year-old from Nelson? Did you was, – was that, was, that, was that a benefit going underneath the radar? Oh, yes. Well, see, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd turned 22 in July, so I'd just turned 22. Um, they, 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 they tried to – I know the media – tried to find out more about me, and they said, well, he is ranked 42nd in the, in the world. Um, there were 67 in the uh, potential to run. Um, they couldn't find that I'd won a national championships. They did discover that I had broken the four-minute mile, um, that um, I hadn't really done much in the European and Scandinavia pre-Olympic uh, tour. The New Zealanders competed in Oslo, in, in Copenhagen, or in Aarhus in Denmark, and we went to Sweden and, and ran there too at the uh, Stockholm Stadium, uh, the Olympic Stadium there actually. And um, but you see, the thing is with with my training that I when I'd left New Zealand, John had pretty well set it out, and he said, I don't want you performing before the Olympics. I want you to to reach your pinnacle. You know, the, the racing pinnacle, when you're ready to race. So these races will be steps on the way, but I don't want you going out there. And I remember calling him before the Oslo meet, and I said, We've got, I've got the chance to run a 1,500 on the first day or the 3,000 metres on the second day. And John said, run them both. And I said, really? Because he knew then that I would run cautiously in the 1,500 to save myself for the 3,000 the next day. And therefore, I wasn't trying to showcase one race. Just stay with your training, stay with your preparation, and stay back and don't go out there and get into racing mode too early because you've got three races coming up in Munich. So he was very, very uh, astute and understanding, you know, how, uh, you know, 10,000 miles away, exactly how I was going to be uh, preparing, training, traveling. Uh, that was something very, very unique in those days. You get to the final. Uh, a lot of talk around um, the Finnish athlete, Pekka Fasala, um, the defending champion, Kip Kaino, looking to become the first athlete in Olympic history um, to defend the 1,500-metre title. Uh, as we mentioned, you had the other Kenyan, Mike Boyt there, Brendan Foster. As this race progresses, Fasala, it becomes sort of obvious over that last two or 300 that it's Fasala and Kaino who's going to battle it out. Where's your head at? What are you thinking about? When did you start to believe well, that perhaps you can get yourself on the podium here? Well, I uh, interesting, very, very good, good observations, Mark. You, well, we would, you know, uh, with a lap to go, I knew I had to be up in the front. I, I was not able to uh, relax and, and sit back and then expect because I knew that Vasila would not would not allow the race to come down to a final sprint. He would make sure that the pace was on. And, of course, we knew Kaino would too. Kaino was not going to hand the race to anybody. So it, when, when as, we, as I said with my brother, he said, when Kaino goes in the final, you make sure you're within striking distance because he will run the last 500 metres hard. Vasala, don't you worry about Vasala. He will be there and he will stride for stride with Kaino. I want you right in behind. And that was my idea, and I knew that I was doing that. And then Mike Boyd went past me down the back straight, 
and I so I and I couldn't match that speed that he went past me. He came in front of me. I had to take a step, half a step, to try, because he really cut me off. And I thought to myself, he's going to go and catch up, but he didn't. And the gap started to open up, and I realized I've got to get going. I've got the power. I know I've got the strength to get off. And I got around the turn as I came into the home straight, and I started to you know, pump and work hard. And I just noticed I was picking up Bas- uh, uh, Kaino a little bit. But Basler had made his break, and, uh, and that's really how it st- stayed uh, across the line. And um, I think uh, somebody commented that uh, Rod Dixon winning the bronze medal probably was the happiest third-place getter of, of, mm-hmm. of the games. And, and, yeah, it and it's 50 years on, Rod, but you've always you've taken, yeah. you've taken that medal, you've, you, you've had it copied, and you now use it as a, a, a finisher's medal or a medal of completion for the foundation that you've been running to get young kids moving. Um, and it's a very, very cool medal to have, a replica and an Olympic medal, uh, one that was handed out to the great Rod Dixon, New York Marathon winner as well. Just tell us a little bit about that legacy. Well, it's, um, I think, you know, what it was was Edmund Hillary came to our school, Tahunanui School, when I was 10 years old. And, and the media are there, and they quoted Sir Edmund telling us kids that Mount Everest isn't high enough for your goals, your dreams, and your aspirations. And that sort of stayed on our refrigerator door for probably 10 years. And so, of course, you know, having that inspiration from Sir Edmund Hillary was, and, and you know, reading the books of Peter Snell and, and way back to uh, George and, and um, the, the uh, legends of, of, uh, of the running back in the 1900s, all that was just fascinating to me. And, of course, as I uh, strode through to the uh, breaking the four-minute mile and, and winning the Olympic trials and being selected, I, that just, I don't know, just came more and more into my, my, my uh, uh, emotional, physical, mental state. And when I finished, the, when I won the medal, and I think one of the NZPA guys, it might have been... Um, Ron Polanski, actually, and he said, he said, who is your inspiration and who were your heroes growing up? And I said, well, my brother was my hero, but I said, Sir Edmund Hillary was my inspiration, and I think he was to most New Zealanders at that time anyway. And um, and he said, well, you've got to thank Sir Edmund. You've got to go and you've got to you've got to thank him. And I said, oh, I don't think I don't think you can call Sir Edmund. Because it's like the Queen, you can't call, you just don't call somebody up. But he said, well, hold on, the Auckland phone book, here is Sir Edmund Hillary, 282A Remuera Road in, in Auckland. And so, of course, when I went up there, I wasn't going to ring him up, I was going to go and knock on the door. And that's when I went around, and he came to the door, and I'm telling him the story that I'd been to the Olympics, and um, he, he said, um, and of course, I had my medal, so I was able to bring that out and show him to just to support my story. And Sir Edmund held it, and he thought this was wonderful. Thank you for your recognition. And he said, "Will you promise me one thing? Will you inspire the next generation?" Mm. And I said, "Yes, sir, I will." He gave the medal back, closed the door, and I didn't know what to do then. But uh, of course, my mother, 
She said, let it go, goals and timing. Hold on to the goal that you will do something in his name, but the timing is not right. And it really was. As, um, uh, actually, it started in 1990, as after the Commonwealth Games, when Dick Taylor, uh, we were in Auckland, and we put on a, 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 a fun run, a family 5K and 2K fun run. And that was the beginning of going to all the schools and getting the kids to start training. And, uh, and so, so that's how it all started. And then when I went back to work with the Los Angeles Marathon and Boston and New York Marathons, I took that idea with me and those races embraced it and we got into the schools. And, the, and now, you know, I would say that we've, uh, over the years, it's interesting because I did, use, I did use my British championships, my French championships, my US championship medals for the kids but the schools kept asking me, can we have the Olympic medal again, please? And I go, oh, don't you want the other one? He said, no. And I said, why do, you want, why do you want to keep getting the Olympic medals? Because the kids have told us that they want to be a three-time, four-time Olympian. So, so that's why the, the Olympic medal is the most uh, popular of all the medals. And, uh, and I, I think we've, we're way over half a million medals uh, that kids have. And in fact, interesting that because when I work with youth programs or high school programs in the US, I get some of those high school kids come up to me and show the medal that they they got they got uh, 10 years earlier at uh, elementary school. And so, and I go, and what are you doing now? Oh, I'm playing soccer, or I'm playing uh, football, or I'm playing basketball. But the thing, the thing that they said that you the mantra that you created, which was finishing is winning, winning is finishing, gave them the confidence to think, yeah, I don't have to be a winner. I don't have to be first, second or third. What I want to do is to make the completion of my training and running my final mile to call it the my marathon that I've run over 10 weeks. And, and then, of course, I've got the soccer coaches and the basketball coaches who are great people to inspire the kids because the soccer coach teaches the kids the importance of left foot and right foot and the basketball coach teaches the kids about the importance of left hand and right hand and so this ABC agility bounce coordination skills that kids learn at a young age it's not about first second and third and it's not about sport it's about participating to be the best that you can be and that's that's part of the mantra part of the journey and that's incredible that we've had well yes I'd say well over half a million kids through the program Rod Dixon, been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to have you on the programme. Happy birthday for 50 years since 1972, since winning that bronze medal, since changing the mood of a nation. I thank you for inspiring me and thank you for inspiring others. Always an absolute privilege to talk to you, Rod. Thank you. Thank you. My privilege too. 26 minutes away from nine, the great Rod Dixon. Arguably part of that Dick Quacks, John Walker. Boy, what an era. What an era. What a runner. Third at World Cross Country Championships, uh, New York Marathon winner, fourth in the 5,000 metres in 76. Just such a diverse athlete. Finished fourth in the 1974 Commonwealth Games 1500 metre final. Finished fourth and runs the fifth fastest time in history and finishes fourth.